Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode of the Believe in Steelers podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag, and we are through six weeks of the NFL season. Still a lot of weeks left, and if you want to place a bet on the gridiron action, BetOnline is the place to do it. Might as well. They've been rocking with us since day one, Mark. And any kind of bet or wager you want to make, make sure y'all go to BetOnline. Head to the new and updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. Bet online where the game starts. All right, cue the music. It's time to start the show. Welcome to another edition of the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by my guy, two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. IT, Steelers back to 500 after an overtime victory on Sunday night football against the Seattle Seahawks. Good way to get into the bye week, back to 500. Steelers at 3-3, able to salvage the season on Sunday night. How are you this this afternoon, my man? Recording this on a Tuesday. We usually do Mondays, but we're Tuesday this week. How you doing, IT? Well, I'm so glad the Pittsburgh Steelers won that game because if they didn't, I had something to say on Instagram Live. So happy to be back at the 500. I had some things in my mind looking at the way it was going, you know, throughout the game. So they pulled it off. They put themselves right back in the comfortable position in the AFC North. We'll see what happens in the AFC just overall in general. But I'm so glad, you know, had the Alumni Hall of Fame inductions. My homeboy, Troy, my brother, Troy, he wound up making making it in there. So I couldn't make it at the time, but at the same time, man, I'm just so glad the Pittsburgh Steelers got that victory. Well, Ike, save some of that fire for today's episode of the Believe in Steelers podcast. And the Steelers escape in overtime, 23 to 20. We're going to talk about TJ Watts' heroics during your Taylor Talk segment, Ike, when we break down his game-clinching strip sack fumble. But we're going to start... With the end of the fourth quarter fiasco, and to me, Ike, we've talked about this in previous weeks on the show, we are overcomplicating a very simple situation at the end, and I can understand why Coach Mike Tomlin was hot. There was a catch, there was a fumble, there was a recovery by the Seahawks player, there was a spike, and there was one second left. They didn't need to replay this or review this, and the fact that the referees, the explanation was, is, well, we had to see whether DK Metcalf actually caught the ball or, or not is a, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so then to put three seconds back on the clock, then the Seattle's have to actually run their play to spike the ball. They get almost essentially a full timeout while the referees are reviewing what happened to game plan and scheme, what they're going to do. There was no need to replay this. I, I do think that there was time left. So I know some Steelers fans might say, well, the time ran out. Time didn't run out, at least based on the clocks that I saw. We're overcomplicating what is a very simple situation. 
Yeah, you know, that's that's the first time I've really seen Coach T kind of go off the cliff. And I think I think Coach T was 100% correct on going off the cliff. Um, I thought it was a fumble. He did get two feet in. And, you know, I, I thought he shouldn't have had no time on the clock. That's what I thought. So the fact that you said okay. – the fact that you said, you know, they, them giving them three extra seconds to spike the ball and put themselves mm-hmm. in position, I thought that wasn't fair at all. But, you know, the referees are human, but at the same time, Coach T, you know, he's stuck in a pickle. And what I mean by that is, you know, at the time, Pittsburgh was two and three. Uh, luckily, Pittsburgh came out with that with that win. If it would have been a loss, it would have put them all away in the hole. But me personally, I've never seen Coach T get that mad at referees. Usually, he's very respectable, but he was hot because he understood what was at stake for the Pittsburgh Steelers and where they need to be and where they want to go in the AFC in the AFC North. Ike, I'm with you in this regard. I said going into this game, I thought it was a loser leaves town matchup. And it's not so much that I think that the Seahawks are in an insurmountable deficit, but it's given that they play in the NFC West division. It's the same thing with the Steelers in the AFC North, given what we know, you know, the Cleveland Browns are three and three right now. The Ravens look really good right now following their week six victory, but it goes to how competitive that we know that each division is both the Seahawks and Steelers enter this game at two and three. Those were the stakes of this game. I I am going to disagree with you here though. And I thought that I I did not think there needed to be a review. I did think that Geno Smith got the spike underway on time before they said, no, 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 we're going to replay review this. I thought he got the spike left with one second left. That's what I saw. That's where I disagree with you. But regardless, I don't think it should have been reviewed. No, I don't I don't think it should have been reviewed. The reason why I, I, I thought that he didn't get the spike off was because I saw how lazy DK Metcalf was just being nonchalant about what happened in that play. There was no hustle in this play. So that's why I thought they had no time on the clock. So did the Pittsburgh Steelers who were standing on the field at the time. So they're looking at it from a standpoint. They're looking at the clock because they're on the field. I'm looking at it from a standpoint where I was looking at DK Metcalf and I was like, oh man, there's no sense of urgency of him trying to get back in the spot to where he was just looking at it to see if it was a fumble or not. But his team's trying to line up. So I thought the clock did go out to the four zeros, but obviously they gave him a second. No matter of fact, after that, they gave him three seconds yeah. and he wound up adding two more seconds back on to it. But I thought the play was dead. And I thought the game was over with at the time, Mark. You do bring up a good point, Ike, in the sense that the time is kept by the officials on the field. The clock that you see on TV or even the scoreboard in the stadium, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're supposed to be in sync, but the referees actually keep time themselves on the field. What's reflected on TV or in the stadium is just, it's almost like an estimation of what the official does on the field if you actually go by the book. So interesting where, you know, you're watching DK and watching his body language as how you interpreted that play. Like, I tell you what, too, Freddie Swain, who actually recovered the fumble, how about the awareness of Russell Wilson running onto the field? I don't know if that's legal or not, but... Russell Wilson not playing in this game, running onto his field, telling his receiver, hurry up and get lined up so we can spike the ball. If not for that effort, I don't know if the Seahawks actually extend this game into overtime. So there was that as well. Yeah, that's what I was saying, the sense of urgency. But if you if you did watch the game, Mark, you saw that all the referees wasn't on the same page. Some referees was calling <laughs> the game over with. You know what I'm saying? And some referees yeah. wanted to huddle up. But at the end of the time, that huddle was best for the res- referees and best for the Seattle Seahawks, it kind of sucks to be a Pittsburgh Steeler 
at that point in time. But I was looking at DK Metcalf and his sense of urgency as well. But I was also looking at the referees. All of them wasn't on the same page. Some saying the game was over with, and others was like, man, the Seattle Seahawks had time for, for the spike. So that that kind of confused me. So I can see as a Pittsburgh still the defense sitting on that field thought the game was over with. I think there would have been a mutiny in Pittsburgh, Ike, had the Steelers gone on to lose in overtime, oh, given yeah. what happened at the end of the fourth quarter, because like, it ended up working out okay for Pittsburgh, but my Lord, watching the end of that game, I can understand why Mike Tomlin was as angry as he was, and he used some very choice words in the right. news conference after right. the game as well, trying not to get fined and everything, but I think he made very clear what his intentions and, you know, just how he felt about the whole situation, understandably so. Yeah, Coach T words was he thought that was embarrassing. That was that was the words Coach T used in his post-press conference. So he thought just the whole situation, coming from the referee standpoint, that was very embarrassing for the NFL. So it, it's, it's, it's all good. Luckily, the Pittsburgh Steelers came out with his W. Like I said earlier before, if Pittsburgh didn't get his W mark, I was going live, man. I was going to lie because my heart, my heart was hurting at the time. Well, especially with honoring the Steelers legends that were there. You got to win the game when the, when the legends are there and you're honoring all of the guys who are donning the gold jackets. But I go back to it's, it's embarrassing because the explanation that the referees gave to say, oh, well, we had to review mm-hmm. whether that's a catch. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. A uh, few other observations from the game, Ike. Uh, Big Ben throwing short of the sticks on third down conversions yet right. again. He very nearly threw an interception late in the game to Jamal Adams, which we'll talk about Jamal Adams later in today's show. But right. throwing short of the sticks on key third down conversions, I've seen it on fourth down conversions with the Steelers. Like, Oh, man, it's driving me insane. I, I know the Steelers have won two straight, Ike, but it's driving me nuts. Seeing, I, I want to see this trend no longer after the bye week. Throw the ball either to or beyond the sticks when trying to convert on third downs. It's it's it, it, it's just something I'm seeing with my eyes, and we're seeing it. It's like time and time and time again, it's not working. It's a very simple fix. It's something I want to see addressed after the bye week. Yeah, seven should know better. Seven should know, man, when it's third down, you got to throw beyond the yards. So or you got to call. Matt Canada just got to call some plays where, you know, putting his receivers in position to where they can go past, you know, the the, the first down marker, at least come back to the ball a little bit. But just Ben, ben should know, man, when he's throwing that ball. And I'm just saying this because it's easy for me to say sitting down right now, Ben is on the line of fighting when he's in the game at the time. At the same time, he's been doing this for a long time. So his awareness should be all the way up a 99 awareness when it comes down to the situations in the game. So seven, you know, this has been a couple of games with seven halves thrown the short. Seven can't do that. But at the same time, I feel like Ben got all the power on the offensive side, man. He can tell the few receivers, you know, get to that, get to that line of scrimmage to where we make it tough on the referees to spot the ball. I do like the way that the offense has been playing the last two weeks, putting Big Ben under center more, establishing the ground game, second straight week where we saw the Steelers win time of possession, keep that defense off the field, get them rest. I am a little bit concerned. Dan Moore left the game with the hip injury. I don't think we'll know more about his status really beyond the bye week. I don't think that Mike Tomlin's going to disclose that considering the Steelers don't have a game this weekend. Uh, but a Steelers line only allowed 10 pressures and it, resulted in only one sack 
uh, a, a hit or a sack of Big Ben. So I like the way that they've been playing. I think that they've improved Najee Harris. We're seeing what he can do. I think he's been extremely impressive for the Steelers this season. And then a guy I know I've brought up, Chris Boswell, like I know that Justin Tucker is probably going to get that Pro Bowl nomination considering he had a 66-yarder, but hitting field goals from 27, 52, and 37, Mr. Consistent for the Pittsburgh Steelers comes through yet again on Sunday night. Yeah, Bozzi is in the matrix as a kicker. You know, between him and, and, and Tucker sitting over there with the Ravens, you can arguably say that you can arguably say that one or the two, one or the two of those guys, man, they they all pros, you know, uh, take away the Pro Bowl. You know, when you look at Chris Chris Boswell and when you look at Justin Tucker, you can say, yeah, they definitely going to make the Pro Bowl if they keep playing the way they plan. But at the same time, man, these are all pro kind of kickers. And I'm just so glad that Pittsburgh still have an all pro kicker because it's hard to kick in Heinz, Heinz Field, Mark. It's very hard. You can just ask kickers in general. So the way that Chris is, is, is kicking – He's missed the clutch. He's points on the board automatically. And he's always keeping your team in position, not only to score, but at the same time, just keeping them positioned by getting points for your team and keeping them in the ball game. Ike, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. And mm-hmm. I want to go to Trey Norwood getting three big stops on third down. He had two against DK Metcalf and another against uh, Lockett for the Seahawks. What are you seeing from Norwood? It was nice to see him contribute on Sunday night, but as a fellow DB, is is there something that you see that he's doing that sticks out? I thought he was a standout player on Sunday night. Man, he kind of set the tempo early in the game. If you watch, man, he made a, a nice little stop uh, in the first quarter, early in the game on a third down conversion. I'm talking about coming up in, in, in form tackling. I thought that was very impressive. But at the same time, Moore's playing with a lot of confidence. And basically anything in life, that's what you need. He feels like, man, he's finally getting his opportunity to, to play the games, and here's the reason why I'm getting this opportunity. And he, he, he as well as Highsmith, them two guys were Mr. Consistent when it came down to the Pittsburgh still the defense. So for me, more, man, to play corner in the NFL, you have to have a short memory, one, but two, you got to play with a boatload of confidence, and that's what Moore is doing right now. Ike, one other thing I wanted to ask you about before we get to your Taylor Talk play breakdown of T.J. Watt's strip sack was in the third quarter. Seahawks are down 14 nothing at halftime. They come in and score on their first three drives of the second half, two touchdowns and then a field goal. What was it in the third quarter? Was there an adjustment that the Seahawks made? Was it something that the Steelers weren't doing? I know tackling was an issue it's, on it's, Sunday some, night. It's something some Pittsburgh not doing consistently, Mark. Running the damn ball. They ran the damn ball. That first... That first drive coming out of halftime, the Seattle Seahawks, they ran the ball the whole mm-hmm. time. Even in the fourth quarter, they ran the ball. Overtime, they ran the ball. So, Gino had to make a few plays himself, which he did in overtime. But at the same time, getting to that point, that's exactly what the Seattle Seahawks did, man. They ran the damn ball. So, I do want to see more consistency with the Pittsburgh offense on running the ball and giving Najee more carries, but at the same time, that's 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 been an issue too. That's always been a question mark. When the team just wants to run the ball, how would the Pittsburgh Steelers defense react? If you go back and you watch that playoff against the Cleveland Browns, that's all Cleveland did. They just ran the ball down the Pittsburgh Steelers' throat. Same thing in the second half with the Seattle Seahawks. That's all they did. They ran themselves back into the game. So 
that's going to be a huge question mark for the Pittsburgh Steelers defense is to not let guys be able to run when they want to throughout the game. So it sounds just based on what you're telling me, I, it was just kind of force of will from the Seahawks saying, this is what we're going to do. Try to stop it. Okay. I wasn't sure if there was something from scheme standpoint that you saw, but you're nodding your head now. So, okay. No, I agree. I agree. It, 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 you know what? We tried to put it on Geno the first half. Let's put it on the offensive line and let's put it in our running back's hand. And that's exactly what they did. And see, I'm burying the lead here too, Ike, and it's in my notes here for today's show. Seahawks, obviously, without Russell Wilson. We all know that. Didn't right. play with the starting running back either in Chris Carson. So how right. bad this loss had been, I hate to go into hypotheticals, but you give right. up 20 points in the second half to a Geno Smith-led offense. So there's no knock on Geno Smith. He hasn't started a game since December of 2017, though. There's a reason for that. And so right. it's not just missing Russell Wilson. Chris Carson also out. And it, a Steelers defense that was playing out of its mind in the first half, and it's like, this is the best half of football I've seen the Steelers play in quite some time. And then in the third quarter, it was like, it, it's the old Lombardi line of, what the hell's going on out here? And, and so I wanted to ask you about that. And it's just, you know, Seahawks ran the ball down the, the Steelers' throats in the third quarter, and then Pittsburgh able to recoup in the fourth quarter and is able to salvage thing in overtime. And speaking of overtime, Mike, we'll go to your Taylor Talk segment, TJ Watt's forced fumble. And I know on this play, you can see TJ Watt, you could argue is being triple team because there's a tackle there. There's a tight end there. There's a running back that's at least chipping and he still makes a play when the Steelers need it the most late in overtime on Sunday night football. Mr. Let's go into overtime, TJ Watt. Mr. Watch what I do <laughs> when it's time to make a play, TJ Watt. So if we just let the first, the side view just run, we're just going to let this side view run. And it's just, man, the relentless error, um, effort, I'm sorry, for TJ Watt, man. That's why you pay the man what you paid him because he's been consistent at doing that. When you need plays in the game, you don't look for your quarterback. You don't look for a linebacker. You don't look for, you don't look for a corner, a safety, or a receiver. You look for T.J. Watt. So if we can run this play, I get down and I break it down. Why I like T.J. Watt, why he got paid the way he got paid. And this is what he do. And you can see the clip now on your screen, the footage right. courtesy of NFL Game Pass. Right. This is this is overtime. He wound up causing the fumble, force fumble, that is. So we're going to go to the overhead view, and I'm going to break it down. But this is, this is just T.J. Watt, man, Mr. Relentless. This is what he do all the time. This is what he's known for all the time. And Ike, you say the sideline tells the story. Watch the Steelers teammates celebrate with Watt, but then watch so stop it, stop it expression. Right so TJ is getting triple teamed if you really want to look at it. You got a guard, a tackle, and a running back just to make sure. Now, if you look at this pocket that Geno Smith has, he has a nice little pocket. I think this, they're playing cover three. So the, the inside linebacker, I think that is Bush. The inside linebacker needs to be back more to sit in a zone to where Geno has to throw throw the ball over the linebacker. Now you get an opportunity to, for the safety to come down, sit in the middle of the field and make a play or at least try to break it up. But if you just look at T.J. Watt, man, he, he deserves that attention. You know, you get a, you give a guy 100, close to $150 million, man, that's the kind of attention he's going to get because when it comes to times like this, this is, this, is, this, is, this is what he do. If you look to the left side and you look at a high smith, it's just one-on-one situation. If you look to the right side and you see what T.J. White is, it's damn near three-on-one. 
but if we keep fast forward, I'm gonna tell you what TJ White is good at. Run that play. Yeah, and Ike, before you get there too, I want to point out Watt was penalized for trying to do the same thing earlier in the game. Go ahead. So they call TJ Watt Mr. Ball Search. She always searching for the ball. And if you just look at TJ Watt past history, all he does is he's a, he's he's digs for the for the uh the cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys and causing them creating havoc and turnovers. He just does it at an outside linebacker or a defensive end. Regard. Just depends on the just depends on the, the defense. But TJ Watt, this is what he's good at. He's good at ball searching. He's good at always trying to get the ball out. He's good at, at, at causing havoc. He's good at Mr. Clutch situations. And this is why you pay the man because he's just been doing it since the time he walked in the city of Pittsburgh and stepped in Heinz Field. Usually guys, when they get in this situation, they just try to make the play or make the tackle. TJ is always ball searching, and this closed the game if we can run it. So he gets triple team, relentless effort, ball searching right there, ball comes out. Gino puts his hand over his head. And we all know what time. Look at that ball search. Look at that ball search. That's what TJ do, though. He ball searched and he secured the tackle to make sure Gino wasn't able to pick it up. So that's another level. You know, me me personally, if I was in that situation, I just would have wanted to make the tackle. But TJ, because of this relentless effort, ball searching right now. Get the ball search. Hold him. Wrap up that cow. I don't know if you've been watching the Cowboys and how they wrap up and they tie them, and they tie them calves around. That's exactly what he did to Gino legs to, to solidify. Gino, you ain't going to what? Just look at the ball and watch my teammate pick this thing up and close this game out. The game clinching play. The Steelers get it back. Boswell hits the field goal and the rest is history. The Steelers go on to win. And Ike, I'm going to flaunt your credentials here. The peanut punch, peanut Tillman, your college yeah. teammate at Louisiana yeah. Lafayette really I would say popularize that in the NFL, but you see how effective that is in turnover creation. Right. TJ Watt taking a page from your college teammate there. And we know how successful Watt's been since he came into the league in 2017. Most forced fumbles in the NFL. Another reason why he's that hundred million dollar man that we saw as well. Like I want to mention one other thing too. The punts leading up to that play, Presley Harvin the third. it was a 50-plus yard punt. He kicked it out of bounds. There was no return, and it really pinned Seattle deep in its own territory. A play that a lot of people aren't going to mention, but we need to mention it here on the Believe in Steelers podcast, helping the Steelers with the field position because it wasn't just the turnover. It's as soon as they got it back, Steelers are already in scoring position. They can trot Boswell out onto the field. Man, when you got a punt like Harvard, Man, that's just, you, you took the words, you took the adjective right up my head. Field position. You always want to put yourself in good field position, especially if your offense is kind of stagnant and making plays and getting down, getting off on third down. But Percy, man, since since he stepped into the league, and we saw this for the Hall of Fame game, how he was just nailing balls in between the 10 and the 5 against the Dallas Cowboys. So he just been doing this since he since he walked into the league. But this is what you gotta love about him, man. Percy able to pin. Opposing offenses down deep in the Pittsburgh Steelers territory, making them go to 80, 75 yards. That ain't going to do nothing but help the team. And it did. That Again, I thought it was a very underrated play to put the Steelers in position to win because when they punted the ball back, it's like, man, I don't know if the Steelers are going to have any time left, even if the defense does get a stop. Enabled. I thought it was going to end in a tie, I can all honesty, before T.J. Watt's heroics. Again, I don't want to shortchange what Cam Hayward did in this game and then 
if Highsmith or Melvin Ingram, whoever lines up opposite TJ Watt gets single teamed, you got to win. It's time to eat. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what those two guys can continue to do as we move along into this season. I I gotta go to Jamal Adams player introduction on Sunday night. He's a Pro Bowl safety for the Seahawks, a very high-level player. He says, Jamal Adams, I'm the best in the nation, instead of saying his college. And I know that you were notorious during your playing days to say Ike Taylor swagging you. But the best in the nation, wait a second here. PFF grades in 62 out of 85 safeties. And he had an interception that hit him in the face mask in the fourth quarter that probably would have won the Seahawks in the game. At least swagging you, you're not claiming that you're the best or the biggest or the toughest or whatever. Best in the nation. And one hits you off the face mask. What gives? At one point in time, man, I, I did feel like I was the best in the world playing that cornerback position, especially when I was traveling and I was shutting opposing teams wide receivers out. I did feel like I was the best in the nation. Did I say that? I said that in so many words. I said, this is Ike Taylor, a.k.a. Swagging you. That's, that's exactly what I said. But to, to, to say you're the best in the nation, I, no disrespect to Jamal Adams. I think he's good in the box. I think he's a hell of a run supporter. I think he's a, he's a safety slash linebacker. But the best overall in the nation – Man, that's just going to have to be something we're going to talk about. But it's not bad having that kind of confidence, especially playing in the NFL. But, you know, the best in the nation are like your Tyron Matthews, guys who can play up on that line of scrimmage. But at the same time, he's not going to let a ball hit him in the face mask, man. He's going to wind up catching that ball and closing the game out. So, you know, I feel the confidence. But at the same time, man, you got to ask yourself, if you start the franchise or you started with Jamal Adams, Justin Simmons, or, or, or Honey Badger. And I think a lot of guys might put, you know, Honey Badger and, and, and Justin Simmons in front of Jamal Adams. So you can have your swaggle, you can have your money, you can say you're the best in the nation. I get all that. But at the same time, man, I'm going to take I'm gonna take Honey Badger over pretty much everybody at this point in time when it comes down to that safety position. So you can't say you're the best. I'm sorry. You can say you're the best in the nation, but are you really the best in the nation? Exactly. And going into this game, the Seahawks defense allowed the most yardage in the NFL. I understand a lot of that's on the front seven, Ike. I'm not an idiot. I understand that's not to pin that all on Jamal Adams. But 450 yards allowed per game when you're the last line of defense on that in that secondary as a safety you can't even get. I'm just putting it. Listen, the the listeners and the viewers interpret this how you want to. Best in the nation. I I, I listen. I, I gotta call it how I see it. It's it's just it's untrue. Say your name in college or come up with a new moniker. I I, I like you know swagging you. You're not you know it's that confidence, but you're not saying you know I'm the best in the nation. And your defense ranks last in the NFL. Come on. Yup. Yeah, I mean best. I mean, you can't even get over 400 yards on playing the PlayStation in Madden, let alone, you know, the, the Seattle Seahawks defense, you know, giving up 400 yards per game. And we're talking about per game. We ain't even talking per about game. We're talking about per game. That's saying a lot. Now, you, you said something about their front seven. He does play around, he does play around the line of scrimmage. So he's a part of that front eight. That, that puts him eight in the box because that's how, exactly how they like to use him. So, I mean, he did make a couple of good stuffs, especially on Najee a few times coming in and filling them lanes. So I respect that part. 
Oh, Jamal Adams, but the best in the nation, man. We got to sit down. We got to talk about that one, Jamal. Yeah, yeah. And like him and Bobby Wagner, I know are as good as they're coming in the league. Right, right. But, and I know they're only two members of an 11-man defense. But again, I, I just had to bring it to the attention of our viewers. And again, give it your history, Ike. I was like this. Who better to talk to about all of this? Uh, Ike, other week six observations. I had a few things. Aaron Rodgers owning the Chicago Bears. I tried to tell you what was going to happen. During our preview of week six, it's a narrative I've seen many times. Rodgers is 22 and five in his career against the Bears. But if you're not beating the Bears, what does that say about you as a franchise overall? Why doesn't Aaron Rodgers own the NFC championship game? He's only won one back when then he went on to win the Super Bowl against your beloved Steelers. So I'm making myself feel a little bit better saying, "Okay, go ahead and own the Bears. What is that even actually saying, Ike? Because some teams in this league play checkers and other teams in this league play chess. You better own the Bears if you want to have any kind of real success beyond just the NFC North division. Man, Aaron Rodgers don't care nothing what you're talking about right now. All that man said is, I freaking own y'all. That's exactly what the man said. He said it a few times. He was talking to the fans. Then when you go look at his stats, I think he's 22 and five against against the Chicago Bears. So yeah, definitely. He didn't pay, he looked at the Chicago Bears like how he looked at his cars and his houses. Man, I'm paying this thing out cash. I own you. There's no leasing with this. So that's exactly how Aaron Rodgers feel. Because I thought personally the Chicago Bears was gonna sneak this win out. They had opportunity. They just they just ran out of gas, so say in that third quarter. But Aaron Rodgers, man, once he gets started, Mark, it's hard to stop that dude, man. But just looking at his background and his history, 22-5 and ain't a bad stat to have against going against somebody. That's like me and you going one-on-one. And you talking about you got me this game, but I beat you 22 times. He did tell the Chicago Bears fans that I still, and I do, own y'all. I paid y'all out with cash. Well, like, when you – predicted the bears to upset the Packers. It, I will right. add this caveat in, we made our predictions before we knew Damian Williams would be out with right. his, I believe it was a COVID diagnosis. He did not plan. I thought the bears back running back Herbert, who's a rookie played really well. So you had right. a starting rookie quarterback in Justin Fields and then Khalil Herbert in the backfield. But so I, I, I will add that in. Cause I know some people were, when we posted the clip and it's like, well, listen, the show came out on Friday. We recorded on Wednesday morning. This is always why I state that in the episode, because the time it takes to actually produce and publish and get the podcast out there, there are times that information can change. But I tried to tell you, I've seen this narrative many times with the Packers owning the Bears, and it happened yet again on Sunday. In the AFC North, the Browns are really beat up by three and right. three, maybe right. not quite as good as we thought. Right. The defense has been suspect after making a lot of free agent signings and spending draft capital, but they're really beat up. Played in Sunday's game without their two starting offensive tackles. Nick Chubb didn't play. Now looks like uh, the backup running back, Kareem Hunt and Chubb, will both be out on Thursday night football against the Denver Broncos. Baker Mayfield's playing through a a torn labrum in his left shoulder, his non-throwing shoulder, and uh, JOK, the rookie, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa is going to be out for some time too. Injuries are starting to pile up, and I know the Browns have a stacked roster, but to be sitting at three and three and to be tied with the Browns in the ASC North Division through the first six weeks of the season, Ike, 
We both like the Browns to win the AFC North in 2021. And the Steelers sitting sitting pretty. They've got a bye. It's going to be Cleveland in their week eight matchup after the bye week on Halloween. So it, I like where the Steelers are sitting compared to the Browns. You know, the Browns sitting, are really beat up right now. Yeah, I'm looking at this stand and they sitting well. Um, Baker will play. And the reason why Baker will play is because, you know, he's playing for that contract. He's playing for that money. Here's the problem. You know, the Cleveland Browns are on a, a two-game losing streak. That's the issue. The Pittsburgh Steelers on a two-game winning streak, along with the Baltimore Ravens. They're on a five-game winning streak. So the Cleveland Browns, they did start off hot. But right now, it's not looking too good. The reason why it's not looking too good, they're asking Baker to close the games out, and Baker is not able to close the games out. So the Pittsburgh Steelers, man, they sitting pretty. So this is how I look at it. You know, right now, the Bengals are 4-2. The Ravens are five and one, but the Pittsburgh Steelers—they not putting up any point. They last in the division at 117 points throughout the season. You know the Ravens got 170, the Bengals got 148, and the Browns have 156. So that's going to be an issue with the with the Pittsburgh Steelers on putting points on the board. Something they haven't been doing consistently. One, and they're not able to put up 21 to 24 points per game. Now when you go to the defensive side. Man, between the Ravens, between the Ravens and the Bengals, they shutting people down. So, you know, for me, it just comes back. It just comes down to the quarterback play. So, if you're looking at the quarterback play, and I thought maybe next year Joe Burrow and company would be in a in, in a situation so we mm-hmm. thought they was going to succeed, but right now Joe Burrow, I feel like man, he's a year ahead. You know, he he got this team second in a division along with the with the Baltimore Ravens. So now you just got to look at it like, if I'm drafting, you know, Baker, who, who I'm going to draft first? Um, I'm going to draft Lamar first. Right now I'm going to draft Joe Burrow second. And it's a toss-up between Big Ben and, and Baker Mayfield just off of their play. So that's how you got to look at it. And that's how Baker got to look at it. Like, yeah. Baker got to put his GM hat on and be like, okay, in my division, who's better at me at quarterback? And you can say you're better than Joe Burrow, but right now the position Joe Burrow's in sitting at four and two, and they're giving him the ball during clutch situations because they think he's able to close games out. Man, you got to put Joe Burrow in front of you. So right now it's it's three A three B between you and Big Ben in a four team situation for the AFC North, and we're not even going to get into just the AFC in general with these yeah. quarterbacks they got in the AFC period, which is Justin Herbert and Lamar's. With your cop, not your collar words, Justin Herbert, Lamar, uh, Joe Burrow, who else they got in the AFC? Um, Mahomes. Mahomes, man, they, <laughs> bro, where you going, where, where you sitting at? Where you sitting at from the quarterback play? So the guys were naming Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. Them four guys right there, man, you start the franchise if you're talking about the AFC. And we, you can put in whatever order. Josh, Josh Allen, too. The Bills fans are going to come after us if we don't mention Josh Allen, Ike. So. Josh Allen. So we're talking about where do you stand with quarterbacks in the AFC? Okay, take that out of it. We're talking about playoff scenarios, playoff pitches. Where do you stand in the AFC North? And this is the problem with Big Ben and, and Baker Mayfield. Where do they stand right now? And like I say, man, it's 3A, 3B depending on who has the better game for that Sunday, Monday, or Thursday. Well, Ike, what would you do? I know you love to put your GM hat on. Uh-huh. I, 
I put you in Andrew Barry's shoes. He's uh-huh. got to determine, okay, not just whether to off, offer Baker Mayfield a hefty contract extension, but maybe right. more importantly, how much to offer. I right. see that Josh Allen gets a deal worth an average of $43 million per year mm-hmm. for the next several years. I'd imagine that Mayfield would make less. He's not as talented as a quarterback. He doesn't put up as good a production as Josh Allen. But, you know, you're between a rock and a hard place in Cleveland because you don't want to go back to quarterback hell. But at the same time, it's like you look around the rest of the AFC and there are better quarterbacks than Baker, who's under contract through 2022, his fifth-year rookie deal got picked up. What do you do? Do you you franchise tag him? What do you do, Ike? Oh, something just came to my brain. Golly, I'm glad we'll be talking on our podcast you franchise tag Baker Mayfield. You see what the NFL and the league wants to do with Deshaun Watson. You go get Deshaun Watson. Okay. Hold it, mold it. Hold it, mold it. <laughs> Deshaun, I know that there's been some rumors that Russell Wilson isn't happy in Seattle. What happens with Aaron Rodgers? Like, Ike, what Aaron Rodgers could do with this Cleveland offense? Say what you want about Baker Mayfield, what the Browns have and haven't accomplished with him. It's like oil and water with him and OBJ. And I feel like we are wasting when the NFL's premier talents, just because for whatever reason, him and Baker just don't fit together for whatever reason. Yeah, it's not bad. They they fit well off off the field. It's, It's like they best buds off the field. If you just look at how they interact with each other off the field. On the field, man, you know, right right now, it, it's, it's just not a, a, a perfect fit. But I, I agree now, I agree with you, what you said in the summertime. You you said this before everybody else did on I Believe You Still the Podcast. Mark, you saw Aaron Rodgers going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I laughed mm-hmm. at you. And this thing really could come to fruition. But I'm saying Deshaun Washington, yeah, Russell was unhappy. But Russell is injured, too. They're not going to get rid of Russell. Russell Butt is going to be in Seattle. He's going to retire a Seattle Seahawks. That's that's exactly what – they're going to listen to him for the offseason. They're going to get him some guys on offense. They're going to try to help out. It's, it's one of the two. You know what? Our defense is not that good. Let me get as much pieces as I want to while I still have Russell Wilson and make sure we just go all the way lean on him. Deshaun Watson. You franchise tag Baker Mayfield. And this depends on how Baker Mayfield plays throughout the second half of the season. And you go get Deshaun Watson and you make a trade. I'm telling you, watch. And anyone listening to this who might think Ike is crazy, to give you the timetable again, Mayfield under contract through 2022, you would franchise tag him in 2023. By that point, all the allegations, just legally, whatever happens to Watson, you would imagine by the 2024 season, Ike, would all be resolved by that point. Yeah, by the, by, the, by the end of the by the end of the day, like you said, Mark, you know things should be resolved at that point. But it's yeah. one of the two: you gonna franchise tag them, or you you gonna get your young stud quarterback. And I don't That's want exactly anyone listening to this. Psych. I, I just I need to state this. I I don't want. We've talked about the whole Deshaun Watson scenario. We talked to John McClain of the Houston Chronicle about this. This, this is not about you know what's right and wrong about what. Deshaun Watson did. We're talking about pure football, football fit 
right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what we're focused on for this discussion. I don't want this to be clipped and to turn into social media. As, oh, you know, we're absolving that, that. That's not the point of what we're talking about here. So no, we're talking about. We're talking about. Have to say best. that though. Yes, I agree with you. So we're talking about the football player will be best yeah. for the Cleveland Browns and what's out there. So we're talking about the situation. So the situation as a football player or as a general manager, man, I'm a franchise tag, you know, Baker Mayfield, see what he does this season. If he does well, I'm going to pay him. I'm not going to pay him the Josh Allen kind of money, but I'm, I'm definitely going to pay the young man. But at the same time, at the same time, I do see Deshaun Watson just sitting like an old antique car down there in the South getting some rust on it. So I can go in and knock some of this rust off. Or I'm a franchise tag Baker Mayfield, and I'm going to go get me a young stud, and he's going to feel the pressure. You do it all the time. You know, now now you're just seeing where the, where the NFL is going. Man, I'm going to have a quarterback, and I'm going to have a quarterback behind him just as well to get myself and put myself in a position of power to trade or just in case my quarterback get hurt. So I don't have to play a young quarterback. If I if Cleveland get a quarterback in the draft, they don't have to play him ASAP unless he's like that. You know what I'm saying? If he's like that, you're definitely – if he's a Justin Field kind of guy, you're definitely going you're definitely gonna 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 draft him or try to play him or try to find a way to get him on the field. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I see Deshaun Watson on um, when all this dust settles down, depending on his situation, that would be a perfect fit for the Cleveland Browns. Not only do you have a running game, you have a quarterback who can run before we was really talking about Deshaun, before we was talking about Lamar, we was talking about Deshaun Watson the same way. It's just Deshaun now is out of sight out of mind. So we have to talk about Lamar Jackson, but the Baker Mayfield situation. Yeah. If I was a GM, that's exactly. And they got a nice GM up there. Oh, in Cleveland. Yeah. Yes. They have a hell of a GM up there in Cleveland. So I'm sure he's thinking the same way we're talking on this belief is still this podcast right now, Mark. Andrew Barry is a very young GM. Ike. I read an analogy. I believe it was in a piece on the ringer. Uh, uh-huh. They made the analogy that Andrew Barry is a GM is almost like how a Trevor Lawrence would be, you know, your prototypical heir at the quarterback position. He's like the next wave of NFL GMs because I believe he's right. only in his 30s. He's a right. very young yeah. general yeah. manager. But what Cleveland has done, revamping that organization, getting them back to the playoffs, winning a playoff game, they have all the pieces. It's on Baker this year, and if he can't get it done, again, I think there are definitely worse options at the quarterback position, right. Right. but if he can't get it done with how loaded, two of everything. We've talked about this on the show. Every yes. position group, there's two. Yes. He can't get it done this year. There are other guys who can. And and again, you mentioned the rest of the AFC North Division, Ike, and I see what the Ravens did in week yeah. six against the Chargers, and it's like, yeah. here we go again. This is a reason why I, I know that there's not always the year-to-year carryover, but there's a reason we saw three teams get into the playoffs from this division a year ago because you're sitting at the bottom at 3-3 three and three and you're 500, and you see what the Ravens do without all, with all the injuries that the Ravens have too. And they don't make excuses, and Lamar Jackson and company find a way to do it, pounding the rock, and it's just like – Oh, three star, it's three star running backs. You yeah. have three running backs for the Ravens that fell off, and you wind up still five and one at the top of your division. So this is how I like to look at quarterbacks. Is he a truck or is he a trainer? What I mean is by truck, can he pull the team when the team when the team needs him, or is he a trainer? Does he need help 
by the supporting cast. You look at Lamar Jackson, he's a truck. Without Lamar, without Lamar Jackson being on the Baltimore Ravens, I don't know what the Baltimore Ravens would be. If you look at the Bengals, Joe Burrow, he's a truck. He's pulling the team when they need him. If you look at Patrick Mahomes, he's a truck. He's pulling the team when they need him. If you look at Justin Herbert, he's a truck. Pulling the team when you need him. If you're looking at Big Ben and you're looking at Baker Mayfield, you're like, okay, y'all got to have a certain amount of pieces around y'all for y'all to for y'all to succeed. And that's where Baker Mayfield, he has to get over that hump because because there's a lot of young guys right now, Mark, who's playing better than him at that quarterback position, and they're turning into trucks. They started off as trailers. Now they turned into trucks. And you don't want a young boy to come behind you at the AFC division and be like, man, I would rather have this quarterback over you. Yeah, and that's coming from someone who played 12 years in the NFL. The players know, Ike. The players know. And correct, they, correct. they know right away. So, again, something I'm going to do here, Ike, because you're very humble, is there's times I'm going to flex your resume to where if someone comes across Appreciate this you. video on social media, I have to because some people are like, oh, you know, what do they know? You know, more than a decade of experience in the league and one of the NFL's most, as I'll say, the NFL's premier franchise. Ike, really quickly before we get into uh, the, what's next for the Steelers, Trayvon Diggs, I got to give you your due. I know it's a lot of times feast or famine, but seven interceptions already this season. I know I joked about it last week, but it's like if he keeps up at this pace, I mean, he's got more interception than some teams have overall. He's been unbelievable for the Cowboys my hat's off to you. You told me about him early on. You hopped on board early, and uh, I'm riding your coattails here, if you will, along the Trayvon Diggs bandwagon. Man, I just, I just, what really put me on, and I saw hard knocks with Dallas in the preseason, and for him to challenge Dak, and Dak wasn't even playing at the time, for him to challenge Amari, for him to challenge CD, for him to challenge Gallup, I'm like, that's exactly what you want from a star cornerback. You want a guy who's a damn dog, don't give a hoot who he's going against. He like himself over everybody, and he's going to live and die by the way he plays. Now, Trey does give up a lot of big passes and touchdowns, so you said it best. He's a feast or a family kind of guy. But when you have a guy who has seven turnovers in six games, the only person who have done that was 1993 Rod Wilson for the Pittsburgh Steelers at that time. You know what I'm saying? So when you got a guy like that, yeah, he's going to give up a lot, but he's going to put your team in a good situation. He's always going to create and turn havoc and turnover. So, yeah, Trey, he gives up, but he makes his plays. I mean, the man just scored in the last Dallas game. So that's what I saw. But what really put me on board with him was looking at that 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 Dallas Cowboys hard knocks, and I said, okay, this little dude, he get it. Then it just so happened his brother have been in the it been in the league a couple of years before him, so the stage ain't too big for him. It's like, dang, while I was at Alabama, I'm watching my brother smoke y'all, and I still get an opportunity to go against my brother in the offseason to hone up on my skills. So Trey, right now, me and you've been texting him through all these games, especially when Dallas is on. We both agree that Trey is in the He's in the uh, he's in the matrix. So say like I like to say. I love when you make that the 
the car analogies and when a player is in the matrix, like that's when you know that they are locked in. Steelers have a bye week in week seven. We are going to have a week seven preview for the listeners and right. viewers due out Friday this week. Steelers back on the field on Halloween in Cleveland in week eight. So we will not have an episode out next Monday. We're going to take that day off and that we will have a full preview of the week eight game the following Wednesday as well. Again, we will be back on Friday on the Believe in Steelers podcast, Ike. But I want to say that you are the absolute best to work with. I want to thank folks over at the Believe Podcast Network, Brinks TV, our producers led by John Brinkus, Courtney Vargas, Herbert Diaz, and the team over there. To bet online, today's sponsor, and to you, the listeners and the viewers of the Believe in Steelers podcast, thank you for tuning in. Man, got to give a huge shout out to, to Mark Berger, my guy. You know, we've been rocking for a minute and then doing nothing and getting better. Make sure y'all subscribe, man, and give us five-star reviews because all we're doing is dropping gold, gems, nuggets, and pearls. I don't know if anybody knows anything about pearls when it comes down to this jury. But when you want to get exclusive and when you want to get fancy, just watch the Kentucky Derby. And all, all the rich people doing is wearing pearls. They ain't wearing no bling. They wearing pearls. That says a lot. If you if you Google the most expensive pearl, you will be very surprised. But make sure, man, y'all subscribe. Give us a five-star when y'all talking about us, man. And we're going to stay dropping pearls. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We will see you later this week. Take care and so long, everybody. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.